Sisters, welcome back to She Is Becoming. We are a podcast of multi-generational women studying God's work together, dedicated to being transformed by the renewing of our minds. You can find our episodes on culture, doctrine, church history, and more on whatever podcast platform you typically use. And make sure that you follow our podcast on your favorite podcast platform so you can get notifications when we post a new episode, which is every other Monday. And if you are following us on Instagram at She Is Becoming Podcast, you can also get additional episode resources and engage with us. Well, I am your co-host, Delaney, and I am here in the studio with my co-host, Bev. Here we are, Delaney. Yeah. We're in a new studio today. Yeah, we're getting a new, like, I don't know if you call it a set. Do you call it a set? Maybe? I think it's a set. We're looking kind of professional these days. Yeah, we look cool. I think we're going to have a, we're going to paint a black wall, have a cute little neon sign. Yeah. So yeah. be on the lookout for our new set. You'll our see it on look. Instagram. Our, our, our new look that we're going to have here. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a question for you. All right. Signature question. I've never asked you this before, so I know that you're going to be shocked. (laughs) Um, What has God been saying to you lately? Well, I have actually two words down Mm. that I really have been going over and over in my mind. And I've been reading through the minor prophets Mm -hmm. in my daily time. And Amos, that dear man, Amos, you know, Mm. he was a farmer. He, he, he didn't ask for this job of prophet. I just, I read him with such appreciation because I have felt like that so many times too, where I just, you know, I'm a wife and a mom. What am I doing? Um, but when God calls you, we answer, don't we? Amen. Yeah. But anyway, the, the phrase that Amos uses for God is almighty God. Mm. And he uses it a lot. Almighty God. And so that I've started to include in my prayers, Mm. almighty God. And I just, I had a situation come up this week that was, um, a young boy was in danger and, uh, you know, there was mental illness going on. It was just a very serious situation. And so I just kept calling God, God almighty, Mm. almighty God, almighty God, almighty God, you can do this. You are, this is not beyond you, almighty God. So that's kind of been my well, there's such word a, from the a Lord. comfort in that. Isn't that there? We do have an almighty God. We do. That we, you know, I don't have to depend on other people and like. My own strength. My own, yeah. what can I do about, I, I was helpless in this situation to right. do anything. Um, but actually we're helpless in every situation, every, truly. Totally. Um, so to know that almighty God hears prayer and can act when we just feel so helpless. Well, Delaney, today we are going to bring some very important teachings. These teachings have been called the skeletal framework of the entire Bible. So I, that's how important I love, that is. And I love how that's, that is frames it. That's a good way to put it. It is. And I didn't, you know, sometimes we don't realize the importance of what we're going to be talking about today. So this is, this is an important one, um, listeners. I'm so glad you've tuned in and you're going to, I think, enjoy this teaching as well. These teachings are going to help us to put the Old Testament and the New Testament together into one redemptive story. We are talking about how our Creator God relates to his creation through covenants. Scripture has many covenants, and understanding these covenants covenants look, gives us insight into who God is and how we are able to be in relationship with him. Maybe you've wondered, what is a covenant? It's one of those words we hear repeated through Scripture, but we often miss the heavy implications of covenant, covenant theology. It's okay. It's early in the morning. It is. 
So today, here's what we're going to explain. First, the overall structure and definition of a covenant. Second, a brief overview of six of these major covenants found in Scripture. And third, answer some questions that we might have about covenants. And fourth, explain how covenants point us to the gospel. Because mm, they do. They do. They are. The that gospel. was something that mm-hmm. I had missed, I think, kind of growing up was, oh, okay, this is a covenant. I Cool. What? What's like, who cares? Yeah. Like, what's the yeah. point of this? Like, yeah. I thought, oh, so something they just did in the Old Testament and yeah. cool. Great Isn't for this them. Just a promise. I yeah. Mean, what's the difference, you know, between a, just a promise or a covenant? Right. You know? So they're big differences, right? Big differences. So tell us kind of about how they're structured and what really defines a covenant, Delaney. Yeah. So R.C. Sproul defines a covenant simply as an agreement between two or more parties, which is based on a promise. I really like that definition. I also like this definition though from Wayne Grudem. He defines a covenant as um, an unchangeable, divinely imposed legal agreement between God and man that stipulates the conditions of their relationship. I kind of like the both of those mixed together. I think covenants is one of those things that in one in one sense, it's really simple. And in another sense, it's a little more complex. It's kind of both at the same time. So this is the structure of a covenant. First, you have the parties. So there are two or more parties involved in a covenant. A covenant is um, different than a contract because a contract is an agreement based on terms between two people, whereas God is always one of the parties in a covenant. So that's kind of the difference between like a contract, which is between two humans, and a covenant, which is a contract between, um, you know, either God and his people, God and one person. Um, So God is always a part and one of the parties of the covenant. He's the initiator. And he is the initiator. Mm -hmm. Big, big point right there. You also have the stipulations of the covenant. So that's kind of the next part of the structure. So these parties are required to fulfill stipulations or terms of the covenant. That's pretty similar to a contract. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a punishment. So that's the next kind of structure, a piece here. There is a punishment for the party who neglects to fulfill their stipulation in the covenant. Then we have the promise. A promise of blessing is given when the stipulations of the covenant are fulfilled. And then we have our symbol. The covenant is represented by um, some kind of oath, vow, some some kind of ceremony or some kind of symbol that really um, displays the covenant in a really, uh, honestly, a beautiful way, especially yeah. when you kind of get into these covenants and you see what these symbols mean. It's really beautiful to it is the symbol. And, yeah, and sometimes these symbols are such a mystery, but then mm-hmm. when you connect those things to to the covenants, it all makes sense. Yes. So keep that in mind as you're listening today. You have the parties, the stipulations, the punishment, the promise, and the symbol. This is what these elements make up a biblical covenant. So here is an example in Genesis from Adam and Eve. And this is um, from Genesis 1 and 2. And this is kind of like the foundational um covenant of all of scripture. This is kind of where it starts. So we know that, yeah, a covenant defines how God relates to us. It is the stipulations of us being in relationship with God. We see this right away in Genesis 1 and 2, right? In Genesis 1, God created male and female in his image, which means that they were created to reflect him. God called them good for they had no sin or imperfection. They experienced God in intimacy as they talked with him and they walked with him in the Garden of Eden. The elements of the covenant that God established when Adam with Adam and Eve were that the parties in this covenant were God, Adam, and Eve. The stipulation of the covenant was that Adam and Eve were not allowed to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, um, but from any other tree in the garden they could eat. 
Then you have the punishment in this Genesis 1 and 2 covenant was um, for eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The punishment was death. Um, the promise was the promise of blessing was eternal life with their creator, was the intimacy with God, their creator. And then the symbol of this covenant that God made with Adam and Eve was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We see that, that there was this one place, this one thing that they could look at, this symbol um, of where they were not to eat. And so when Adam and Eve sinned, breaking this covenant with God, their relationship with him changed. God had to kill an animal to cover their nakedness and death would now be applied to all God's creation. So when creature broke his covenant with creator, we we cannot be in relationship with God, right? Thankfully, we know that God redeemed this and Bev is going to talk a little bit more about this later. But under the umbrella of covenant, there are also three different types of covenants that we see in scripture. The structure of the covenant with its, you know, specific elements like the parties, the stipulation, punishment, promise, symbol um, doesn't change. But the way that but the promise and the way that the covenant is kept differs um, depending on the type of covenant. Exactly. So here's the first type of covenant. We have the covenant of redemption. So this describes um, the covenant that God makes with himself within the Trinity and shows how they relate to each other. Covenant is really interesting because covenant, um, it's very structured. And so you have that piece of the covenant that it has all these structures and these stipulations. But on the other end, you also see that covenants are really relational in that way. And so the covenant of redemption really shows how um, like the parties, which would be the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit relate to each other. Um, R.C. Sproul explained it um, really uniquely, and he explained it as each person's stipulations, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, were like this. The Father initiates salvation, who predestines, who sends Christ to accomplish our redemption for us. Then the Son accomplishes redemption, but that redemption is applied by the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit who regenerates us. So you see all three working out, keeping their stipulations, all three have their part in that covenant. And that's also how they relate to each other. So in this type of covenant, there is not really a punishment since the covenant is between God himself. Yeah. <laughs> and since God always that fulfills, yeah, yes. <laughs> God always fulfills, um, you know, all of each, each part of the Trinity always fulfills their part. And so each person of their Trinity fulfilled their role in salvation perfectly and showcases that each member of the Trinity were in total agreement, complete agreement about this matter of human salvation. And so the promise of blessing in this covenant was a promise of salvation to God's elect. And then we know that the symbol for this covenant was the cross of Christ's death. Um, and so that's a thing to keep in mind with a covenant. Um, the word covenant is not used for Genesis 1 and 2, but we can we it is used um, in Hosea 6, 7. So we, we can look at other parts of scripture to see that as a covenant. But you have to remember, it has all of these things in place. It has the parties, the stipulations, all the things in place so that we can look and we can say, that's a covenant. Mm-hmm. Now, in the, in the Godhead, yeah. which is a mm-hmm. beautiful thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's, that's where it starts, which I think is really sweet. Mm-hmm. Second type of covenant that we have is the covenant of works. Um, so I gave an example of the covenant of works earlier when I described Genesis one, the Genesis one and two covenant between God and Adam and Eve, where Adam and Eve could not eat from that tree. Um, but the covenant of works was established with Adam and Eve. And so this is partly why this covenant is so important. That is why when Adam and Eve broke their covenant with God and not only changed their relationship with God, 
but the rest of creation's relationship with him as well. It explains why Adam's transgressing of the covenant brought spiritual, physical, and emotional death to all mankind. Because this covenant was the first foundational covenant of works. And Adam was our human representing as the first man. He was our human representative. And so now we have a new man, the head of the race, Christ. And those who believe in him can share his righteousness and so be restored to a right relationship with him. So the covenant of works, in in kind of a simple term here, is a clear definition of parties involved, a legally binding set of provisions that stipulates the conditions of their relationship, the promise of blessings for obedience, and the condition for obtaining those blessings. I know that's a quote from either R.C. Sproul or Wayne Grudem. I cannot remember. That's kind of a way to kind of sum that up. I think, though, that the covenant of works begs the question, though. Does this covenant of works still apply to us today, right? I think from Scripture we can see yes. The answer to this is yes. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. Perfect obedience is still required for eternal life and for us to be in relationship with God, right? Because we know that that's God's standard, that God is holy. And so if we are unholy, how can we be in this relationship with him? But I think the even more important question to ask is this, by whose works are we saved, right? Great point. Whose works? Is it ours? We know that Christ fulfilled our covenant stipulation so that we could have the blessing the promise of blessing, which is eternal life. So there is still grace in this. And I think this this question leads us really perfectly into the third type of covenant, which is the covenant of grace. Amen. Aren't we thankful for the we covenant of grace? We are thankful for the covenant of grace. So we are saved by grace because Christ became our substitute and he kept the covenant stipulations that we were unable to keep. Christ kept the stipulations for all covenants in the Bible. We're going to talk about six of those today. And he fulfilled the original stipulation for the covenant of works. There's a quote that I love that says, covenant of grace does not nullify the covenant of works. It fulfills the covenant of works through Jesus. Beautiful. Powerful. This is another thought that um, Sproul gave that I just kind of tweaked a little bit, but I really loved um, the framework for his thinking in this, um, that the covenant of grace is actually a better covenant because it doesn't restore us to this like pre-fall position. Like we don't get to, you know, be a part of this covenant and we're back and try again. Yeah. And we're like in this position like Adam and Eve, right? (laughs) This, the covenant of grace promotes us to Adam and Eve's original promise, which is eternal life. So it doesn't just make us pre-fall, right? Mm -hmm. That's not what it is. It promotes us to the original promise of eternal life. So covenants are relational in nature, functional in execution, and fundamental in our receiving the blessing of promise. Covenants are the structure upon which we build the biblical main theme of redemption. So there's that skeletal work that the covenants are. Yeah, and you can see it throughout all of Scripture. Like you can, you can, you can, it, it kind of makes like the law make sense a little bit more. I think when you understand covenants, it kind of makes the like, it just adds um, kind of like another facet to like mm-hmm. how we see God, how we see our relationship with him. Definitely. Kind of makes it more sense in a, in a unique way that I don't think we think about a lot. No, no. And you know, when you hear teachings on covenants, you kind of just 
zone out. You don't yeah. really realize how important they are to scripture. And how beautiful they are. Beautiful, beautiful. And so much about God can be learned here. Now, next, Delaney, let's look at these six main covenants that we've chosen to speak about today as they're found in scripture. So I'm going to give a brief description of each one of these. And um, so people can jot these down. First, there's the covenant made with Adam and Eve. It's called Adamic covenant. This is the pre-fall covenant. And this was works-based, as Delaney has said. But let's take each one of these six covenants and quickly define what they were and the impact on the redemptive story. Remember, they all relate back. All six of these point to the main story Mm -hmm. um, that, uh, you know, of redemption for mankind. So in these six covenants, we'll have conditional, dependent on man's obedience, and unconditional covenants that which are promises given by God without conditional obedience of mankind. And I'm so thankful that these some of these covenants are unconditional because right. if it had been up to us, no Savior would have come. Right. No Savior And if it's come. unconditional, then it means it's kept by God. Exactly. Thank God. I know, exactly. <gasps> All right, let's look at this first one of Adam and Eve, the Edemic and or Edenemic, Edenic. Edenic? Edenic. I think, I'm like, I like a, a, a Adamic better. It just sounds fuller. Edamic? Well, yeah, that could Adamic? be it. Yeah. Adamic. Yeah. Adamic. Whatever it is. Yes. We know that this is with the covenant that God made with Adam and Eve was, has covered, but with Delaney's teaching here as well. But just to add a comment, do you notice what we learn about God in this earliest of covenants? First of all, God is a covenant maker God. Mm-hmm. His love for people and his creation is such that he wants to enter into a relationship so that, as scripture says, they will be his people and he will be their God. Yeah. Really, that's the point of redemption. Right. That's the point. And scripture says that point over and over again. Mm -hmm. We also see that God is a truth teller. He is truth. We can count on God to always keep his promises. In covenants, we also learn that God has the sovereign power to fulfill his covenant promises. Also in God's dealing with Adam and Eve, we find the first promise of Christ in Genesis 3.15. God says to the serpent who deceived the couple, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will, Christ will crush your head. He's talking to the, God is speaking to Satan here. So he says, he this promised person to come, the seed of the woman, will crush your head, Satan, and you, Satan, will only strike his heel. Mm-hmm. So this is really the gospel, uh, the first revelation of the gospel. And right. it happened right after they sinned. What a right gracious after. God. Yeah. What a gracious God. He, he didn't just leave them wondering and, and with no means back. No, there's a promise right away. And that's what's so precious about these covenants. The promise comes as soon as the sin Happen. And there's grace right away. Like yes. there's the the thread of grace is throughout all of these covenants. Even when you're like, okay, I know this is a workspace covenant, there is still grace Absolutely. in the workspace covenants yeah, and these is. conditional covenants. There is. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move along and then in the Bible to Noah, the Noatic rainbow of Genesis nine. Second, we have this covenant, which was given after the great worldwide flood in which Noah and his family, of course, were the sole survivors. God promised in an unconditional promise to never flood the earth again. And the symbol or sign of this was our rainbow. 
don't we wish that we could remember the original meaning of this? Yes. And I people say, like, take back the rainbow. I'm like, but this is from scripture. This, this We don't have to take this back. This is what God has put in place. Yes. And we see this in scripture that this is what the rainbow really means. This is a symbol. It is. Of God's it, covenant. And promise. You know, it's a beautiful symbol. It is. The earth will be, in the future, will be utterly changed, but not by flood. Yeah. Not by a flood. God will bring about a new heaven and a new earth where Christ will reign in his kingdom. Now, as Noah and his descendants were given dominion on the earth, so will we reign with Christ in his new kingdom. So a lot of meaning there in Noah's covenant. Now let's move on to Abraham's covenant. And this was a covenant given to Abraham, but it was renewed with Isaac and Jacob as well in Genesis 12 through 22. So a big chunk of Genesis that we're going to be studying this year talks about this covenant. Now, uh, we this is the third one we're talking about. We're going to look at this Abraham's covenant, which is unconditional. This is an unconditional covenant, and this is why I'm so glad it's unconditional. In Genesis 12 and 15, they describe this covenant. This covenant is very foundational to our redemptive story. God calls Abram to leave his country, to go to a land that he would show him. He promises um, him a people, a land, and that through his descendants, all people will be blessed. In other words, through Abraham will come the promised one, going back to Genesis 3.15, who would crush Satan's head. In this covenant, the parties are God, Abraham, and his descendants, and all the peoples of the earth. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Huge. Huge covenant. Yeah, can't make a promise to anybody like that, can you? (laughs) Now, the only stipulation was Abram was to go to this land. No punishment is mentioned because all uh, the action was going to be on God's part. Mm. The promise is blessing for all people, and the symbol of this covenant was circumcision. Why circumcision? Well, circumcision just represents a setting apart of the people of God. It was a way to demonstrate that the people cut off their worldly behavior. They repented from their sin and now identify as God's own living, who are living for him now. Mm -hmm. So this covenant to me is the most precious because the promise of blessing through Abraham's descendants is Christ. Yeah. Christ came into the world, not out of our obedience, but because of the unconditional covenant of redemption. Mm. This covenant gives us the structure to understand biblical topics like circumcision. Mm -hmm. It makes sense now um, when you put it in the context of covenant, the promised land, election, the sovereignty of God's plan, all of those things we can see being developed here in the covenant theology. Mm -hmm. Now, the fourth covenant that we're going to talk about is the Mosaic covenant. And this happened on Mount Sinai. And we often uh, identify the 10 commandments uh, coming with this and Deuteronomy 11, Exodus 20, talk about this covenant. The Mosaic covenant is next with this covenant. It came through God's servant leader, Moses. We find this covenant also in Exodus 19, 24. So all of these uh, Deuteronomy, Exodus chapters are really talking about this new covenant with his people. The descendants of Abraham had multiplied to 70. So this was Jacob's family, and they had, to, they had fled to Egypt during a famine, but were ultimately enslaved for 400 years, mm-hmm. where their number increased to seven, several million God sent Moses to deliver them from their slavery and brought the people out to the area of Mount Sinai. Remember, he promised to have a people's uh, people group for himself. Right. 
So here he is fulfilling that um, Abraham's uh, covenant. There God called them into another covenant through Moses. The covenant was very different in that it was filled with laws uh, by which this new nation was to now live in order to have God as their king and Lord. The covenant is referred to as the old covenant often, and it's spoken of in contrast then to the new covenant in the New Testament. This covenant was conditional and outlined very specifically were the blessings of obeying God's law and the punishment if they refused. The parties here are God, the descendants of Abraham, now multiplied as God had promised. As the people move into the promised land, they were to live a life set apart from nations around them. And if they instead chose to follow the pagan nations, they would lose the blessings of God on the land and the people. This really give us, gives us context then for the exile of Israel because totally. of their disobedience to the covenant they pledged themselves to. They did agree to this covenant. To and, keep the, the law. and the cycle that they were in that you see throughout the Old Testament where they would worship uh, false gods, where they would be in idolatry and then there would be a punishment. Yes. Now it makes sense. Doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. All of that confusing history at time really does make sense. But why was the law given? I mean, he, God knew the people couldn't keep it. Why did totally. he give it? The law was given as a custodian, Scripture tells us, of God's people until the promised one came. In many important ways, this covenant revealed things true about themselves and God. What was true about the people was that they, as sinners by nature and choice, could not keep the law. Mm -hmm. They needed to know that. They needed to understand God's high standards. They indeed needed um, mediation in order to be reconciled after sin. They also learned in this covenant that God would accept a substitute as a way to cover sin temporarily for them until the Messiah came. This was through, of course, that sacrificial system that's part of the law um, that God demonstrated these truths. Also, this was a foreshadow of Christ, the perfect sacrifice being my sacrifice for sin, and then his righteousness is imputed to me. So Christ fulfilled this conditional promise on our behalf. Mm-hmm. It's not set aside. Right. It's not, like you said, it's not obsolete. Right. It is fulfilled. Right. Big difference between those two. Oh, yeah. And I think part of the reason, probably part of the reason that this is in Scripture, is that we can look at what the Israelites did and we can see, okay, um, that would be me. Like, we're covenant breakers. Yes, we are. Like, we're not sitting here like, okay... We, we would have fulfilled, no, we're all covenant breakers. That is why we need Christ. Absolutely. All right, we've got two more to go here. David, the Davidic uh, covenant that God made with him. In 2 Samuel 7, uh, it, it promises David that one of his seeds, that Jesus, the Messiah, would come from his seed. Um, was It was given to King David, and we find this covenant in 2 Samuel 7. God promises David that one of his descendants would reign over God's people continuously. Mm. Now, you know, people die. How can that be? We have in Scripture the lineage of Christ that shows us he is the rightful heir to King David. Mm. He is King David's, I would call him, Christ, the ultimate descendant who rules for all eternity. So the parties in this covenant are God, David, and David's descendants. The stipulations and punishments are none because this is an unconditional covenant not dependent on man. 
praise God. The promise is for the ultimate King Messiah to rule eternally, and the symbol was that this message came through God's prophet, Nathan. Now, the final one is the new covenant, and this we're probably the most familiar with. We hear this term. Mm -hmm. um, It's in Jeremiah. It's in Matthew. It's in Ephesians. In the new covenant, we'll talk about how is this new covenant different from others? How is it better than others? Now, the ultimate covenant, the new covenant, we find the prophecy for this new covenant to come in Jeremiah 31. I would like to just read parts of this right out of Scripture. So, Clear back in the Old Testament with the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. He was given a message from God promising this new covenant. Mm -hmm. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. I will not be, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. In other words, it's not going to be that conditional Uh, covenant because they broke my covenant though I was a husband to them declares the Lord Mm. this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time declares the Lord I will put my law in their minds write it on their hearts I will be their God they'll be my people no longer will they teach their neighbor neighbor or say to one another know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Ooh, that's that's beautiful, isn't it? I noticed right away in that too that he says, "I I will put my law in them." Like you you can see that part of the covenant still, like this righteousness part, and then he also says, "I will be their God." You can see this relational part mm-hmm. in this, and you see the third person of the Trinity as well. Yes, that he lives within us, right? And so he reminds us of the law. He reminds us of what godly living looks like. He is within us. And not only does he teach us and show us the way to go, but he also empowers us mm-hmm. to keep the law. We're powerless in ourself, but we can call on God's power and God's power is now within. And he gives us the desire. He changes our desire to want doesn't he? To want so to obey true. the law. So true. So this is a promise given to the Israelites as they were suffering in exile. Can you imagine what a mm. joy this must have been uh, that Jeremiah was giving them? It was a promise of renewal and a future hope when they would be renewed from the inside out instead of trying to be renewed from the outside obedience, which they failed miserably at. So a day when God would live in them to accomplish God's will by his power. Then in Luke 22, it's described in the New Testament when Christ at the Last Supper initiates with communion this covenant. This is the his body and blood of mm-hmm. the new covenant. Um, this is the parties in the new covenant then are God's people and the Lord through Christ's body and blood shed for them. And communion is a symbol of mm-hmm. this new covenant along with baptism, which is a symbol of the new life, eternal life for those who receive Christ as their Savior. So the stipulations are faith in Christ. Mm. And we know that that faith is a gift from God as well. So he he sets the stipulation, you, you must believe in Christ. But he also gives us the ability to yeah. have faith in Christ. He enables this is us. not of yourself. Right. This is God's gift to you. The punishment for not believing is eternal punishment and separation from God. So there's the punishment or the punitive aspect of this 
this uh, covenant. When you ignore the covenant and reject the covenant of Christ and this new covenant, then you are subject to those terms. Well, and I think probably for the Israelites, something like covenants would have, these covenants would have been on their mind a lot more, right? Because they're seeing these symbols a lot more. They're seeing circumcision. I think they're probably being reminded of covenants. And so it's like closer to their mind than I think that than us, you know? Yeah. Well, their whole worship was centered around these laws. Right. And they knew the only way they could be forgiven of sin, and it had to be unintentional sin, mm-hmm. was through sacrifice. That blood had to cover the sin because the punishment for sin was death. And so all of this was symbolism, teaching them, showing his people what they need and who they needed in exactly. order to have a right standing with and I God love that again. You, well, I love that you brought up communion with that too, because that's kind of like what we see as our symbol now. Yes. Like we see the symbol of like, okay, we have Christ's blood that was shed. I also think it's interesting because it almost feels like the phases of history in the Bible can be explained with covenants. Yes, they can. You know, like we have, okay, we, we've started with Adam. Mm-hmm. Now we've gone through, we've gone through Mo- David and Moses. Like we've Abraham. gone through all uh, Abraham all the way They're to all the so new. so important. So important. When it's like the history of God or the history of, well, God, his God's relationship, relationship with his man. people mm-hmm. can be explained through covenants, which yeah. is also really beautiful because it's about grace. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. Well, you know, sometimes we refer to marriage, Delaney. We're going to answer a few little brief questions yeah. here about covenants. Yeah, some frequently um, asked questions. Yeah, exactly. You know, some you'll hear some couples want to refer to their marriage as a covenant yeah. marriage. And others are choosing to, I've been to so many weddings where there's not even a mention of God. Right. Uh, you would hardly recognize it as a wedding these right. days. Um, but how does uh, marriage then fit with covenant theology? Yeah. Well, really, marriage is a covenant with the parties being the bride, the groom, and God. You know, God defines what marriage is. Right. And it is something that we are, it was his design, and we do it under his terms. And if you think about it, you know, if we know that the original covenant was Genesis 1 and 2, marriage is also in Genesis 1 and 2. That's where we see this first marriage. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that was the first example of this kind of covenant. Um, the stipulations are fidelity mm-hmm. in in a marriage covenant. We're making a promise to be to have fidelity towards one another and towards God. Yeah. We're making these promises not only to your husband, to your wife, you are making them to God that mm-hmm. you're going to have this fidelity and that you realize the importance of God in that relationship, mm-hmm. that he is the one that brought you and will keep you in the covenant. Now, the punishment for breaking our covenant made before God really is a whole lot of pain. Yeah, yeah. It's a whole lot of pain. Divorce takes what God has joined together and tears it apart. Mm-hmm. There will be pain. The two become one flesh. When when a divorce happens, it's a ripping of both of their flesh. I actually heard it, and I have felt this too, that I have heard it described as divorce is like a death. It is. Right? It's like a death. It's a death of, of a marriage for sure. But you don't... You, you continually grieve it. There's right. no, there's no um, uh, healing over over that that death that happened because most of the time, of course, you're both still living and you're both still dealing with each other. Yeah. Um. So, it, kind of the pain goes on and on. And I think there's a pain with um that you know this was a covenant made by God. Even if you weren't the one who broke the covenant, um, there's a pain in like the covenant that was made with God was broken. Just in yeah. general. Oh, it's a heartbreak. You know? It's yeah. a heartbreak. It, yeah. It, it crushes our spirit mm-hmm. because 
we, we, we took it seriously, perhaps, and the other party did not. You know, to be married is such a great blessing from God. Mm-hmm. Paul and I are going to be celebrating our 50th anniversary Yay. in May. I know. I can. I hope you're taking a trip. 50. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're going to celebrate. Believe me. But I'm just thinking 50 years. Wow. Yeah. Only God. I mean, we're very different people, yet we're very much alike. Mm-hmm. 50 years of living with one person. By God's grace. By God's grace. By God's grace. I mean, he has to put up with me all the time. So today, marriage is often not seen as promising to God, but only to your partner, which makes marriage an impotent commitment. I love that wording. Impotent. Yeah. It just, you know, yeah, I promise I'll go to lunch with you. I mean, where's the power? Where's the significance? Where's the solemn, you know, being solemn in that promise? If it's just to each other, it's to God. When you bring God into marriage, it gives it a whole different dimension. And we rely on him then to get to that 50-year mark or 20-year mark or one-year mark, whatever it might be. It's really what marriage is. It shows you what marriage is really about, too. That, yes, of course, your relationship is important, but it's what you're reflecting, that you're reflecting God and the gospel and his love. Ephesians 5. That's what makes it important. It's the gospel. Yes, it really, it, it's a, it's a beautiful illustration of that. And, mm-hmm. and we, we don't want to mar that. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't want to mar that. We want to keep marriage as something very sacred, yes. but it's hard. It's hard to, in living in a sinful world. And that's why, you know, um, God's word addresses this issue. Yeah, it does. So I have a question for you, Beth. So w- when we talk about covenant theology, I know that it's hard to talk about it without bringing up dispensationalism. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So can you just talk to us just briefly? We don't want to spend the rest of our time on this, but just what is dispensationalism and why, um, you know, covenant theology, we believe, um, holds to Scripture? Well, dispensationalism, maybe you've never heard that word before, but it was very popular some time ago when a particular Bible translation brought this up. Um, and this is, just means it's a way that interprets the Bible through differing ages called dispensations. Now, in these dispensations, supposedly, God acts differently with people. But I see in Scripture there's that one meta-narrative, mm-hmm. and it is the story of redemption, and God is the same throughout Scripture. Mm-hmm. Yes, certain Scriptures are no longer active, like the sacrificial system, but they're not disregarded. Rather, they were all fulfilled in Christ. So I really feel that this dispensational theology, it was very popular quite a few years ago, mm-hmm. um, but it, it is not so much talked about now. The Understanding covenant theology is so much more scripturally act right. accurate. Because covenant theology is God initiating. Dispensationalism feels a little bit more like God just res- God responding. Yeah. Exactly. Um, rather rather than God initiating. And I, I think there's a there's a um at least for me I get a taste of um like God's so- God is not a sovereign in dispensationalism. And in covenant theology, you know, we you can see God's sovereignty everywhere. Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and exactly. His grace. So mm-hmm. I think, yeah, just some things to keep in mind with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, it's good to know the word. It's good to understand the term, yeah. so that when you hear it, you know what that was all about. And but we really choose the covenant theology over dispensationalism. Yeah, and I think that bringing up that meta narrative is huge because we scripture interpret scripture, and script there, scripture is a whole work, right? We don't just take sections of scripture and make it its own little thing, right? The right. Bible is one work; it is one grand unfolding story and so um, we need to look at it as a whole 
All right, Delena, let's take another question. Yeah. How can God impose a covenant on his people that he knows they're unable to keep? And how can that really be good or fair? Yeah, this this was a thought that I had for sure as I was studying all of this. And I think the key to answering this question is really um, understanding the character of God, right? We know that God's holy. He requires holiness from his creation. God, um, you know, God knowing we are unable to keep up our end of the covenant, he then keeps the covenant for us. Like this is shows his grace. It, it doesn't diminish his holiness. We know that his it's fulfilled through Christ. And so we see this actually in Genesis 15 when God makes the covenant with Abraham, right? Like the symbol of the Old Testament covenants, um, or really the symbol of the sacrificial system was, you know, taking these animals, cutting them in half, then separating their parts. And this is kind of gross. Separating the halves of their parts. And then there would be blood that would kind of pool in the middle. And then you would walk through. This was how ancient covenants parts. were kept. Even, you yeah. know, that were apart from God. This this was what they did to show how serious. It was the, the seriousness. The, the, it was more contract behavior. Yeah. And it was, it was showing like, okay, I will fulfill my end. Otherwise you know, consequences, death, like there, it's showing the seriousness of the covenant. But we see this in Genesis, Genesis 15, um, like in this beautiful scene, God causes Abraham to sleep. And then God in the form of fire walks through the parts of these animals alone. And so God knew that Abraham couldn't hold up his end of the covenant the same way that he knows that we can't. So God keeps the covenant for us. Genesis 15 is a foreshadowing and a symbol of the gospel. So I think the answer to this question is yes. Like God imposing a covenant on his creation is good and fair because God keeps the covenant and Christ and the cross fulfills our covenant stipulations. And I love this, that Abraham is put into a sleep. Yeah. Just to show him that it's God making these promises. It's God. It's God. It. Yeah, it's Abraham God. was asleep like like we are. Yeah. You know, our, that's, that's how capable we are too. It, it really is so God-honoring, this and whole picture, even though it's unusual it's and bloody. An un- then yeah, and I we th- don't do those things today. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I think I think the symbol, though, makes it extra beautiful. Doesn't you, it? Yeah, you get to see it and just mm-hmm. depict it in such a beautiful way. But I think, um, you know, when we talked about the definitions of a covenant earlier, a term that um, Wayne Grudem used is that covenants are divinely imposed, mm-hmm. which means that God, in his divinity— right? Who God, who is superior than us, who is all his glory and all his majesty. He is the one that initiates the covenant for us. And so as creator, he has the right to do that. And as creation, we are supposed to keep up our end. But if God did not have grace, did not have love, um, he would have imposed this on us and then just left us to ourselves, mm-hmm. right? But because he is abundant grace, he fulfills it for us. It all just reveals who God is. Totally. So I think there's another question that comes up with covenants. Is there grace still in the covenant of works? Good point. For our creator God, in his infinite glory, wisdom, and holiness, to enter into any kind of agreement with his creation is grace. You're right. Like, Absolutely. Period. Mm-hmm. Not. Yeah, he could have... It remained a distant, unknown God, but he chose not to. He chose, he chose relationship. Mm-hmm. For him to come down mm-hmm. and make any kind of agreement with us yeah. is grace. It is. And not only is the fact that God makes covenants with us 
at all, Grace. But him making a covenant and fulfilling all the covenant stipulations is abundant grace. Yes, it is. It is. It is abundant grace. It like, is. So I think, yeah, the, the covenant of works is still, like, you see grace throughout the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You do. Because he didn't have to. He didn't have to. And all these covenants really relieve, uh, show us, reveal God's glory, mm. who he is. Yeah how he is holy, holy, holy. And we need to understand that. Mm -hmm. And we need to understand grace so that we can give him the glory, the honor, and all praise is to him, not to ourselves, but to him. And forever and ever in eternity, we're going to be bowing down before the lamb, worshiping him. Um, It's just such a beautiful picture of who God is. I just keep going back to that thought. Well, you know, God is a covenant making mm-hmm. and keeping God. He fulfills his promises always. Aren't you glad to know that, Delaney? Amen. Amen. The covenants give us this skeletal structure we need to see the one story of redemption. God wanting to be our God and we be his people. Ooh. Amen. Amen. Do you want to pray? Heavenly Father, give us minds to understand this covenant theology so that we might give you greater glory and have greater appreciation for the grace that we have through the Lord Jesus Christ, that we can be redeemed, that we can come back into relationship with you, that you so desired relationship, you made promises to us, and you have made the way possible for us. Even when we disobeyed, you have made a way for us to be in relationship with you, and we give you all the praise, all the glory. Thank you for who you are, covenant-making, keeping God. In your name, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen, amen. Well, it was great to be with you, sisters. Join us in two Mondays on She is Becoming.